Because if we're not persistent in our prayer life, if we're not regularly meeting with, with God in our prayer life, we're, you're depriving yourself the communion that you have with God. What God said that we could have, you're, you're depriving yourself of the power that God makes available to you. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germanton, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend, Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. We are continuing, and this will be the last message this morning on prayer. And this morning, we're going to go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is the Lord's Prayer as recorded by Luke. And as you turn there this morning, let me ask you this. Do you like to be encouraged? Uh, uh, I I like to be encouraged. I, I, I really do. And I was thinking... Uh, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought about the Olympics. Uh, as you know, the Olympics were a couple weeks ago and very different. And, and one of the things that was so remarkably different this year is there were no crowds in the stands, right? So all the athletes, they were there and, and normally their parents and, and their friends and the, the people of the host country are, are there in the, the crowds encouraging them, cheering them on to run uh, what is the theme of the Olympics? Stronger, faster, higher, or, or something like that. You know, to, to continue on all the way to the end as, as the sprinters line up to sprint all the way to the end, as the marathon runners run to encourage them to cross the finish line, as, as the divers step up to encourage them as, as they perform their dives, the, the audience, the, the cheer. And, and we all know either from watching it on TV or, or being at a sporting events, we know how, how those cheers can really rally a team and, and encourage them to continue to to press on and and to finish well. Well, this morning when we come to Luke chapter 11 and we look at the Lord's Prayer, what I want us to focus on is, is not the Lord's Prayer as recorded by Luke, but the teaching of Jesus after he gives that prayer. You see, in in Matthew's version, Matthew, if you remember, was very concerned with prayer as you are exercising righteousness. Remember, it was in a a group of three. He says, when you practice your righteousness, and then he talks about giving, and then he talked about praying, and then he talked about fasting. He didn't really give any explanation, but he says, these are your righteous deeds. Go practice them, and tells you how. When we get to Luke, he records the Lord's prayer, but then he records what Jesus said after that, that teaches them about the Lord's prayer and what he meant and what he wants them to do with it. And in doing that, Jesus acts very much like an encourager. He's encouraging us this morning in our prayer lives. Rhetorical question, you don't need to raise your hand. Does anybody need to be encouraged in their prayer life? How about this? I'll raise my hand for all of us, if that's all right with you. We do. Sometimes we just, we need a little push to be encouraged and to do what we have been called to do. And that's exactly 
what Jesus does. Now, we're going to study specifically verses 5 through 13, but I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read the Lord's Prayer as Luke records it and all the way down to verse 13. Verse 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs." And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So this morning, I want us to look at three ways that Jesus encourages us in our prayer life. And the first one is this. Jesus encourages us to plead as we pray. Now, I, I went with the word plead, but I think perhaps a better word would be beg. All right, he, he encourages us to beg. And he does this by telling us a very short parable that we need to spend just a little bit of time bridging the cultural context on. Because the parable is about ancient Near East hospitality. Now, we know as Southerners, we know a little bit about hospitality, right? Uh, I mean, we're, we're known for our, our Southern hospitality. I've never heard of Northern hospitality. All right. I lived in the north. I'm not saying they're not hospitable. I just never heard of northern hospitality. But you hear southern hospitality all the time, right? And we take we take pride in that. You come over to the house. Hey, let me get you a glass of tea. Let me give you a cup of coffee. Hey, I got some cookies over here in the cookie jar. Let me get you a cookie. Let me, you know, let's let's do this. So make yourself at home. You know, what I mean, southern hospitality. We're we're we 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 love it. But here's the thing. Compared to the hospitality and the expectations of the time that Jesus was talking, we pale in comparison. <laughs> All right, Hospitality in, in the Middle East, even, even to today, I mean, it's beyond what we do. Okay, See, when you come over to my house and, and the Southern hospitality is coffee or tea and a cookie, right? In the Middle East, if, if you come over to their house, the equivalent would be me, when you come to visit me, putting out grandma's Sunday lunch on the table. It wasn't you just give them a little bit of what you had. You gave them more than you would normally give your family. And so you would, you would go out, all out, because you want to be hospitable. I mean, hospitality is so crucial in Middle East culture. And it didn't matter if the guest was invited or uninvited. Right? You, you had to do the same thing. You had to treat this guest 
with, with all the hospitality that culture required. And so in this parable, this man shows up at his friend's house. And he shows up, it says, at, at, at in the evening. Okay, he, he showed up at midnight. Now, Southern hospitality, we, we draw the line, right? <laughs> All right, there, there, there's a line drawn. You know, it, it, it's somewhere between the 8 and 9 o'clock hour to call, but it's probably more like the 5 or 6 o'clock hour just to show up. So here this guest shows up at midnight. Now, notice again, in the parable, that's not the issue. Okay, the people aren't reacting to the issue. What the, the, the hook of the parable and what's going to cause the people to go, I can't believe that, is not that the friend showed up at midnight, but the owner of the home had no food. That's the, uh, the hook. That's when all the people in the audience would have went, oh, he has no food? What's he going to do? How, how can you, you know, not live up to the cultural expectations? What, what is this guy going to do? So the guy does the only thing that he can. His friend comes, knocks on the door. His friend is here. The guy looks around his home. He has nothing. So he goes next door to his neighbor, knocks on his neighbor's door. All right, so let's another cultural uh, bridge here. He knocks on the neighbor's door, and the neighbor says, look, the door's shut, and the kids are in bed. Now, we need to understand a couple things. There, this is not, you know, a, a five-bedroom house where the kids are upstairs over the carport where it doesn't matter if I get up right now and open the door, the kids aren't going to be bothered. At best, this was a two-room house, most likely a one-room house where the kitchen, the living room, the bedroom, everything was in one room. So you'd get up in the morning, you'd, you'd cook the breakfast, and you'd eat in the same room, and you'd eat your dinner, and then at night you'd put everything up, and you'd put out the mats and go to sleep on the floor. And, and there would be mom and dad and however many kids there are. And for safety, when they went to bed, they would put a bar across the door so that the people couldn't come in their house. So this guy shows up at midnight. So put yourself now, not in, not in the person's house who's going for the bread, but in the, the person who was asleep. There's no electricity. It's dark. How do you do getting out of bed at midnight when there's a nightlight? So the guy does, he answers the question, look, I'm in bed. If I get up to give you food in this pitch darkness, because it's dark, I'm going to wake up the kids. Who wants a, a wide-awake kid at midnight? Because we all know a wide-awake kid at midnight means a wide-awake kid at 3 o'clock in the morning too. I'm going to have to turn on the light, which means I'm going to wake up my wife, and I don't want to wake up my wife. Then I'm going to have to go rummage through the cabinets and give you food while my kids are now awake playing, my wife is mad at me because I'm giving away our food, plus I woke her up from her sleep, just to come give you food because you weren't prepared. Go away. Well, what does the God do in the parable? He keeps knocking. He, he, keeps, he keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking. And we're told in verse 8, look at verse 8. He says, Jesus says, I tell you, though, he, meaning the one who was asleep, will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. So look, they're friends, but the, the limits of friendship has been crossed. <laughs> and he says he's not going to get up and give it to him just because he's his friend any other time of the day. Yes, friend, here, have it. 
But he's not going to do that tonight because he's his friend, but he's going to get up and do it because of his impudence. A better word there is the word shamelessness. Because the guy is standing outside the door and he has no shame at this point. He has got to bring food back to his friend or else he has violated every cultural norm that he can think of. So he's got to keep knocking. He's got to keep knocking. He's got to keep knocking to get the food that he wants. Now, I know a little bit about this. Not from being at a friend's house at midnight, but living overseas where I didn't speak the language. And I would go shopping for groceries. And I had one of two choices. On day one in the country, I'm still hungry, okay? Hunger doesn't stop. So on day one in the country, I've got to make a choice when I go down to the grocery store. I can be hungry for the next two or three weeks, or I can just set all my shame aside and point to what I want in the cases and hold up number, hold up my fingers so that people will know. Now, I feel like an idiot, The people behind the counter kind of laughed at me and chuckled a little bit, but I got what I wanted. I was willing to act shameless to get the food. And this guy right here in the prayer, he's willing to set aside his shame. He's he's willing to make his friend mad at him and upset at him and just finally say, fine, I'll give you the food if you'll go away so he doesn't violate the cultural norms. He's willing to beg And that's the whole point of the parable. That Jesus is teaching us that that we need to come to God in prayer and plead to beg with God in prayer just like the man was begging at the door of his neighbor. We need to do that. And I know if you're like me, the first thought is, well, well, Gary, that that just, that, that seems wrong. It seems kind of like God is, is standing there and, and all of you have had a mean older brother who's done this and, and holding something over your head and when you jump to get it, pulls it up, right? I mean, so it's like God's the, the ugly older brother. You can't get it, you can't get it, you can't get it, you can't get it. Why would God want us to beg during our prayers? Well, because it's a reminder of how much we desperately need God. It is a reminder of how needy we are. Now, every one of us this morning would completely agree that we need God when we can look around and see the direness of the situation that we are in. Right? We, we can see God in those instances. When things are going wrong at work, when there's financial problems, uh, when there's a health issue. We can look around and, and we can go, yeah, I, I really need God. And, and in those moments, we, we probably do beg in our prayers. However, here's the truth. We're never not that needy. We always need God as much in our daily lives when we can look around and see that things are going well as when we look around and see things are going difficult for us. The only thing that has changed is the external circumstances and our perception to them. I mean, why why does Jesus say it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven? 
Because the rich man looks around and goes, I have everything that I need. Everything is okay. If I don't have what I need, I can buy it. I can buy my happiness. I can buy a bigger house. I can buy a nicer car. I can buy a grander vacation. I can use my wealth and buy me everything that I need so I am not needy. And Jesus goes, when we look around and say, all right, I'm at a place where I don't need anything from God, that's when we're probably our most neediest. Because we all know that when things are going bad, we look around and we go, yeah, God, I, I need you. I want you and things are going good. We're like, hey, I'm all right. But we don't need more God when things are going bad. We need more God in our lives each and every day, regardless of what is happening to us on the outside. And so we're being told, we are a needy people. This was the prayer list this morning. <laughs> we're a needy people. But even if your name's not on the prayer list this morning, you're still a needy person. You still need God every day in your life. So what we have to do is we have to come and, and, and plead, beg, implore, beseech, whatever word you want to use, because we are so much needier than we realize, and we need to plead with God like our lives depend on it, because it does. And so Jesus encourages us to come to God begging in our prayers. But then Jesus encourages us to persist in our prayers. And he does this a couple ways in these verses. First, it is the parable, right? I mean, in addition to the pleading, there, there is the persistence. The neighbor yells, hey, go home. But the guy doesn't go home. He stands at the door and, and he keeps knocking. He, he is persistent. Jesus tells another parable in Luke 18 about the persistent widow, where the widow goes before the judge and, and she wants justice against her adversary who has done her wrong. And so she goes before the judge, and the judge is supposed to be this impartial arbiter of justice, right? I mean, that's what we've been told. That's what we're told. And the same was true in, in, in Jesus' time. The judge was supposed to be impartial, not taking into the status of the person before them and, and making a decision. And the widow comes before the judge and says, hey, I, I want you to, to do this, to, to give me this justice. And, and the judge looks down and, and, and sees the widow and he's up there on his bench and he's looking at her and, and going, she's just a, no, go away. He refuses to give her the justice. So you know what happens? The next day, she goes back before the judge, says, hey, I need you to do this. The judge says, go away. And this keeps happening over and over and over and over until the judge finally says in verse 4, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She was persistent. And the judge recognized that she was going to be persistent in coming and he was going to eventually get wore down, right? Dads and moms, we know that. You know, daddy or mom after like the, the, the 100th time, the 150th time, the 200th time, we'll cave. 
Why will we cave? Because they're beating us down. So Jesus says, you got to be persistent. You got to you got to keep coming and, and keep coming and keep coming. And then he says, secondly, he says there in verse nine, he says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. He says, look, come ask, seek, knock. But what we don't see in those words as it's recorded that way is, is it, it's not a one-time event. It reads like it's a one-time event, doesn't it? Come and ask. Hey, hey God, will you? Okay. It, it, but it's not. It's really asking, seeking, knocking, showing that, that we're to persist in prayer. God, today I'm praying for this. God, I'm, I'm, I'm still praying for this. Hey, God, do you remember the, the last three days when I prayed for this? I'm, I'm, I'm praying for it again. And we, and we keep doing it. We call it the, progress, the progression of persistence. Every now and then I just, I've, I've got to throw in an alliteration for, for preacher points and for sound bites. And so that's the one this morning, the, the, the progression of persistence. All right, we, we, we keep asking, we keep knock, seeking, we, we, we keep knocking. And that's what it says. He says, you come and you ask, but don't stop there. Start to seek. But don't, don't stop it at, at seeking. You gotta, you, you gotta start, start knocking and it becomes more intense as you move up, as you continue to progress in, in your persistence and you keep coming, you keep coming, you keep coming. So, so why is Jesus telling us to do this? Because let's face it. How many of you here this morning would be able to stand up and say, Gary, I have an absolutely incredible prayer life if prayer meant you asked God one time and you got exactly what you wanted the first time, right? Y'all would, would pray like, you, like you've never seen. Y'all would leave the church this morning and, and before you got into your car, you would have already had 35 prayers. You, you probably wouldn't even drive home. You'd just be sitting there praying, get a phone call about 8 o'clock at night. You coming home from church? Is Gary still preaching? I don't know. He's not that long-winded. All right, prayer would be so much easier if we had to ask once. So why do we have to keep asking? Why do we have to keep coming to him? Is God toying with us? Is, is he humiliating us? Absolutely not. But prayer is the appointed means of communication with God. And so it gives us a chance to talk to God and to, to let him know what is on our minds, allow us to listen to him as he speaks back to us. But at the same time, it says that we are living a life that is dependent upon God. A 1600s pastor put it this way, those who live without prayer live without God in this world. Those who live without prayer live without God in this world. So let that sink in for just a minute. You know, a life without prayer says, I don't need God's power in my life. I, I, don't, I don't need God to intervene. And you go, but Gary, I read the Bible. Well, good, that's, that's, that's critically important, but not to the exclusion of prayer. Because if we're not persistent in our prayer life, if we're not regularly meeting with, with God in our prayer life, we're, you're depriving yourself the communion that you have with God. What God said that we could have, you're, you're depriving yourself of the power that God makes available to you. You're depriving yourself of the fullness of the Christian life that Jesus says he gives to his believers. 
if you're not persistent in your prayer life, basically you are harming yourself. It's detrimental to you. So Jesus says, look, don't, don't come just once. Keep coming back. Keep, keep coming back. Pray persistently. Because it is in those persistent prayers that we will experience that communion with God and we will see the power of God revealed in our lives as he moves and he answers the prayers. Which leads us to the last encouragement. Jesus encourages us to believe as we pray. Believe what? Believe that he will answer our prayers. Look at verse 10. Now, now read verse 10 very carefully. For everyone who asks, what's the next word? Receives. And the one who seeks, what? Finds. And the one who knocks, it will be what? Open. Is there any ambiguity in verse 10 as to whether or not God will answer your prayer? Does it say, ask and maybe if God's not too busy, he will possibly consider maybe handing you over what you want. Does it say, seek, and if you're lucky, and it's a good day, and God decides to lead you to where it is, you will find. Or does the verse unequivocally say that if you ask, you will get. That if you seek, you will find. That if you knock, it will be opened. What does that tell you about how God treats your prayers? It should tell you <laughs> that he answers them. That he answers your prayers. Now, we need to be a little bit careful. All right, this is not a name it and claim it verse. I, I know people love that. And it usually works like this. Well, God said ask and he'll give it to you. So you go out and you, you ask for a new boat for me to go fishing because I don't like fishing. But maybe if I had a new big boat, I'd like it better. I don't know. And then next week, there's not a boat in my driveway. The answer to why the boat's not in my driveway is always the same. My faith wasn't strong enough. If I just prayed believing more, I, I would have the bigger boat. That's not what this verse is. This verse says that God always answers your prayer every single time. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is no. And we see that as, as Jesus continues to talk about the fish and the serpent and the, the egg and the scorpion. Because what he is trying to, to point out is that God as a loving father does two things. Number one, as a loving father, if you come to him and ask for what you need, fish to eat, an egg to eat, because he is a loving father, he is not going to turn around and give you a snake or a scorpion, read something that will harm you. So you come asking for the good thing that you need. God, the loving Father, is going to give you the good thing that you need. On the flip side, God is a loving Father, so if you come and you ask for the scorpion or for a serpent, something that will hurt you, God loves you so much, He's not going to give you what will hurt you. He's going to give you 
what you need. And you go, well, Gary, I've, I've been pleading and, and praying and persisting. I've, I've been doing really good on the first two, but, but God has an answer to which I'm going to usually say, are you sure? Are, are, are you sure that, that maybe the answer was in his love, uh, capacity as the loving father? He saw that what you were praying for was not what you needed or not the best, and he had something better for you, so he's saying no to this to give you something greater? Are you sure that maybe you just didn't like the answer? Because let's face it, nobody likes to be told no. I don't like it. You don't like it. Nobody likes it. But what if when God tells you no, it's because he has something much greater to give you? And that's what his argument is. It's an argument from lesser to greater. He says, look, even evil dads read us covered in sin can give good gifts to our kids. How much more then will God who in him is no sin, is no evil, is no viciousness, will give you everything that you want and more? How much will he give you something much greater than what you're asking for? God will never give you a bad gift, right? A couple months at Christmas, you're going to get a bad gift. And your mind goes instantly start thinking, how can I return it? How can I re-gift it? Do I have any more Christmas parties coming up at the office where I can put this one underneath the tree? God will never give you a bad gift. God gives you what you need, and sometimes what you need is so much greater and so much better than what you're asking for. It's almost like God is, is answering the prayer as if we were a wiser, more mature believer we would know what to pray. Maybe that's it. God, God views it through a lens of, wow, you know, he's, he's growing. Let me go ahead and give, it to, give him what he needs if he just maybe had a little more insight. And so God says, I'm going to answer the prayer. And he answers them not because of who you are. All right, I want to make that clear. I, I know you're great and God has your picture on his fridge in heaven. All right? But he answers the prayer because it is based on his character. His character is at stake, right? He, he has promised to be a good father to us. He has promised that he will never abandon us. He has promised us a life of joy. He has promised us an inheritance beyond this life. So for the sake of his stated character that he has revealed to us through scripture, he's going to answer his prayers in a manner that is in accordance to who he is. And when he does that, what we find out is that he gives us so much more than we need. And so when we pray, we need to pray believing that he is going to answer. And he will. And he will answer because it brings glory to him in the world. And you will glorify him in your life as well. So Jesus says, look, when you, when you pray, pray believing that God is going to answer. I know that talking about prayer is always difficult. It, it's, it's, it's a hard subject because it's, it's so much there. So many different facets of it. 
And Jesus this morning comes to us and says, look, as your Savior, the one who died on the cross for your sins, I just, I want to encourage you in your prayer life. I want to I encourage you. God has given you this, this wonderful avenue to communicate with him, to allow him to speak to you, to allow him to reveal his will to you, to, to, to lavish his goodness on you. And Jesus comes and says, look, I just want to encourage you this morning. Use it. Use it so that your, your heavenly father can lavish his good gifts on his children. And he encourages us to come and, and plead. He comes and he encourages us to be persistent. And he comes encouraging us to believe that our Father who art in heaven will give his children every good gift that they need. Because our Father in heaven is a loving Father who will do that very thing. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? 